Welcome to Succession Stories, Insights for Next Generation Entrepreneurs. I'm Lori Barkman. I've spent my career bringing an entrepreneurial approach to mature companies struggling with change. As an outside executive of a third-generation, 120-year-old company, I was part of a long-term succession plan. Now I work with entrepreneurs, privately held companies, and family businesses to develop innovations that create enterprise value and transition plans to achieve their long-term goals. On this podcast, listen in while I talk with entrepreneurs who are driving innovation and culture change. I speak with owners who successfully transition their company and others who experience disappointment along the way. Guests also include experts in multi-generational businesses and entrepreneurship. If you are a next-generation entrepreneur looking for inspiration to grow and thrive, or an owner who can't figure out the best way to transition their closely held company, this podcast is for you. Subscribe to our newsletter for more resources to build value in your business. Visit small.big.com. That's small.big.com and sign up today. This past year, some high-profile companies put a spotlight on succession, most notably Amazon and Apple. Only 42% of small to mid-sized businesses have succession plans, and just two out of 10 companies say their succession planning is effective. This week, I talked with Beth ArmConnect Miller, founder of Executive Velocity, a leadership development and succession planning advisor, about how to avoid succession planning mistakes in closely held companies. Beth shares helpful insights for do's and don'ts and ways to formalize an approach for talent management. Beth, welcome to Succession Stories. I'm really glad to have you on today. Well, thank you. I've really been looking forward to this, Lori. It's great to talk with you because you have such amazing experience working with executives in coaching and advising and succession planning. And a lot of what I heard from my audience when I asked them for questions, certainly there were questions about COVID. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the other set of questions were around leadership. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I thought it'd be great to have you on today to talk about those two things. But let's start with you. If you can start by telling me about your path, <laughs> because you created your own company, you created your own consulting company, yeah. but that wasn't right out of the gate. So I'm curious to hear <laughs> your story about how you decided to do that. Well, actually, the reason I started the company, Executive Velocity, was because my husband had started a company years prior, and he had convinced me to leave Coopers and Librand and start a consulting division. He was doing accounting temporary services firms. So he's, he's really the entrepreneur, not me. <laughs> we sold the business back in 2002, and I, gosh, I got bored pretty quickly. And decided to to look for something new, but I also knew that working on my own for so long that the idea of going to work for somebody again was just not in the cards. So I was talking to a friend of mine here in Atlanta who had been a member of Vistage, which is a CEO membership international organization. And he really credited the organization and the group that he was in to the growth of his company, which at the time when he started was like two or $3 million. And when I was having conversation with him, it was over a hundred million. So, I mean, a s- serious growth. And fast forward, I became a, a Vistage chair back in 2006 and really found my passion of working with smaller companies. Those companies generally are 
30 employees, upwards of 300 to 400 employees, and helping them build leadership pipelines. The work I did with with Vistage also included business consulting. Because I had run a company before, I had run into a lot of the same issues that they had. So I could I could really be empathetic and also help them navigate through some of those issues. But the group obviously helped as well. The coaching that I did led me to realize that I wanted to learn more about coaching and developing leaders. So I became certified as a coach and then went and became certified in a number of assessment tools, including Myers-Briggs, Hogan, and EQI, which actually I just recently got certified in. I'd, I'd been using the book called um, Emotional Intelligence 2.0 out of Talent Smart, but then moved to assessment tool called EQI. And emotional intelligence is a huge factor in leadership success. And I am often called in to coach because of some gap in emotional intelligence. In fact, I was just talking to a new client the other day, and the woman that I'll be coaching has some, some challenges around managing her emotions and also adapting to the needs of, of others. So, yeah. Boy, that's not relatable, right? <laughs> I'm sure everybody in the audience is probably shaking their head going, uh, yeah, okay, we get it. <laughs> Who doesn't uh, have complete control of their emotions? Right. Exactly. <laughs> well, those sound like really interesting attributes and things that you can do to help mm-hmm. develop leadership and help people look in the mirror to see what do they need to work on. Right. That's step one, just just admitting, hey, uh, this is an issue of mine. Yes, self-awareness. Yes, self-awareness. I, and that's something I've always, I always look for that when I have initial conversations with new coaches is, you know, if, if they're not self-aware, there are going to be challenges in making adjustments and changes to their behavior. Tell me more about that. How do you get them to be self-aware? So one way is through 360 assessments. Now, that's a challenge in, in smaller companies that, you know, have, you know, less than 50 employees because you're not going to get enough data to support the feedback. But 360s can be very beneficial. And it provides individuals with a 360 feedback, meaning that they're getting feedback from their peers, their direct reports, from their managers, collaborators. In some situations, even their clients, customers. I'm doing a couple right now where the leader has asked a number of their clients for feedback, which I think is a great way to get full feedback. Yeah, especially if it's independent. And hopefully it's anonymous feedback because the client might feel yeah. that they can't truly be honest otherwise. Yeah, and it is all confidential and anonymous the individual just gets a aggregated score. So they're not able to, to see who's saying what. Yeah. But I will tell you that oftentimes they will read comments. They'll go, well, I think that was so-and-so. Uh, I'll say, well, you know, does it really matter? Because it's feedback. Right. This additional information that you should be taking in. Well, and there's two things you can do with feedback. <laughs> there's the circular file. Yes. <laughs> there's the trash can. And then there's to the take it to heart. Yeah. And there's probably something in between. Do you find that people really, even if they're 
getting it in black and white on paper that this is feedback? Do they have a tough time believing it or internalizing it? You know, sometimes it depends on the feedback. I remember working with with one individual and he got some really tough feedback and it was a surprise to him. But he, you know, he took it to heart and he he realized that, you know, this was perception of the people that were were giving him the feedback and that, you know, that's reality to them. So he needed to figure out how to adjust and adapt to the styles of, of other people. Right. Yeah. So the show theme, as the name insinuates with succession stories, yeah. well, I love to talk about transitions and succession. Mm-hmm. And succession can be in a general company setting. It doesn't have to be a family business. Right. But I'm curious if you've seen any differences in, with working with clients of those two categories, where it's just it's a privately held company, maybe founder led versus this is second generation, third generation, et cetera. Right. I have found that family businesses are a bigger challenge. You've got, you know, personalities have known each other for years. There's more emotion involved. And there are alliances that can come into play. In fact, I was just talking to a gentleman earlier this morning who is in a family business. And I think he's third generation. Yeah, he's third generation. And he's having to deal with a lot of the problems that occurred in earlier generations that he feels like he's having to clean up because the family itself wasn't willing to make the hard decisions as it related to elevating family members and placing them in positions that either they weren't ready for or they were never going to be ready for. And that's a tough thing to tell someone they're never going to be ready. I heard someone yesterday, I was on a webinar and some family business owners, some of them had sold their company. Mm -hmm. One gentleman told a story about he had to let go one of his sons because the son wasn't performing. Yeah. And it took about six months. And then after he let his son go. It took another three months for emotions to kind of subside. And then he said, after that, everything was fine because it was the right thing to do. It was the right thing for the son. And the son ended up going to create his own business. He's entrepreneurial and he yeah. and he found his path somewhere else. But it's really tough to make that call. Yeah, it is. Parent and child relationship is, you know, so close and, you know, you don't want to hurt your child, but at the same time, long term, in this case, in a lot of cases, it's a much better choice. Because oftentimes, those those kids are in the business, sometimes because they feel obligated, that they didn't really have a choice. I have actually a friend slash client over in Louisiana. And one of the things that he was really good about in bringing his, his kids on board was that they couldn't just immediately come to work for him. You know, they had to get a degree that that made sense with what they were doing, which was an engineering company. They had to go off and work five years somewhere else before they actually came to, to work for, for the organization. And that's worked very well for him. Yeah, I've heard that too, where people need to go work elsewhere before entering the family business. Yeah. And then there's a path for them, hopefully, with mentoring. I've heard that's a really important aspect. Yeah. Mentoring and coaching, I find, are, are really important in small to mid-sized companies for developing. But it's really important that 
you have a really strong development plan and to understand, you know, what are the competencies that the individual's bringing to the table and what are those competencies that he or she may be missing that need to be developed and to be developed in a timeline that will prepare them for their next position in the right time frame. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. So the process of succession planning, can you just explain at a high level how it works? Is it something that's, you know, done in a day, done in a year, five years? How does it work? So the succession planning process is an ongoing process. And you need to integrate it with your business plan and your business planning process. So the succession plan should be a subset of your business plan. It needs to be driven by what I call the succession planning team, which is a high-level group of, of leaders, along with an HR talent management person who understands the process and can facilitate uh, what I call the talent discussions, the talent conversations, where you bring the team together and discuss potential versus performance. That's one big mistake I see smaller businesses make is they get confused with high performers and high potentials and they don't equate. In fact, I read somewhere where it's like one out of seven high performers actually have the traits of high potentials. So you've got to be really clear of what potential is in your organization. And that's, that's forward looking versus performance, which is uh, past and historical looking. So get really clear about that and then have the conversation around who is a high performer, high potential. Where are they in the organization? Are they in a key position? That's another another um, mistake that I see people make. And that is they look at the key employees versus the key positions first. Um, the conversation I was having just earlier with um with this gentleman in the, the family business, they have um, they did create a future organizational chart, but there was there were no names in it. All right, and there were there were people that actually were in some of those positions, and then some of those positions don't even exist yet. They're going they're going to be needed in two or three years. So they have this kind of map that they then need to start placing employees into the map, but it also requires development. So the development, if you've got, for instance, if you've got a um, controller and you believe that you need a CFO in a year or so, there are some clear skills gaps between a controller and a CFO. So what kind of development are you going to provide that individual so that he or she can move into that position versus you having to go out and hire somebody. Um, it's, there's a, a tool that's called a nine box grid, which is one of the key, key tools to use. And that basically uh, one axis is performance, the other axis is potential. And in the talent conversation, you start plotting your employees in this nine box grid. Then what you do is you then move those names to the key positions. And you, 
you're able to then start seeing, okay, we might have one or two people that are available for this position in the future. How do we start developing them? So the development is ongoing. And then you always, you're continually measuring the performance and the development of those individuals to align with your succession plan. So if you've got somebody that you feel is going to retire in five years, well, you've got five years to develop that individual or individuals, if you're lucky enough, where you've got two or three people, you've got a, a larger organization, then you are um, measuring them um, as they develop. And it's a, it's a continual talent conversation. I love how you've described that. And I think there's a couple of key things here. One is that a succession plan is a subset of the overall strategy plan or business plan. Yeah. And that's a point that I like to reinforce with the audience that it doesn't sit alone. Right. And the way you described it was so great because you're right, you have to be future thinking. You can't just look at someone's past performance and say that that's an indicator of future. It's certainly important, but if the future skill set or if the role is just so different for that individual, you really have to figure that out. There might be a gap. And that was my experience too when when I worked for a very, very large company that people would know the name of if they heard of it, but they have an excellent process and they use the nine box. Mm -hmm. And we did that with our teams to talk about future potential. So I can visualize that and I'll include a link to that in the show notes for folks that maybe aren't familiar with the nine box grid. But sort of transitioning here on the talent side or the employee side, do you find that typically they are in the loop? that they know that there's this grander plan being discussed about them? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, I think part of it is people um, or leaders are concerned that, you know, if, if they start having this conversation around, well, you know, we want to prepare you for this, this next position and things don't go right, then they've got to have a more difficult conversation. Um, what I really, what I encourage companies to do is first of all, to communicate to all employees about what potential looks like to the organization. What are the behaviors that they are looking for in employees that would show them that they have, have potential to move, either move up or across and take on some, some other role that will expand their, their career? Uh, it doesn't have to be up. And that, I think that's that's really important, especially today where there's so many companies that are a lot flatter. And um, you need to, um, instead of looking at the performance and the um, pathway of an employee up, it could be a lattice effect where they're moving across and up um, or or you're enriching their job, where you're expanding what they already have with adding on additional responsibilities. That may mean a larger team. So it's it's not just about moving up. But I think the conversation really, we could sort of debate this. I guess there's yeah. no one answer. <laughs> but for high potential people who are really contributing at a high level in an organization, they kind of want to know what their future entails at that organization. Otherwise, they might say, I'm going to move on to greener pastures. I'm looking for more opportunity. So yeah. there's a push and a pull on that. 
Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I definitely encourage career conversations with all employees, whether they're, you know, your your average uh, performer or high high performer, high potential. And um, those those career conversations will allow you to understand what are they looking for and then how can you help them get there? Um, the, the critical thing is to is to make sure that you don't make promises that you can't keep. That is the point. Yeah. So you're talking about their career intention, what they aspire to, their hopes and dreams, right? But not promising you're going to be VP or you're going to be CEO unless it's really in the cards for them. Right. Yeah. And you know there are some high potentials out there that don't really want to take on another higher level position, oftentimes for personal reasons. You know, they, they're at a, at a point where they feel like they need to step back. Um, there might be something going on in their personal life. You know, you, you need to understand where they are in their lives um, before you assume that, oh, gosh, here's, here's this, this high potential. We, we need to move him or her into the, that next position. It might also mean, you know, requiring a lot more travel and maybe they're not up for that. There's all, you know, there's all sorts of aspects to to their personal decision. Switching gears a little bit to talk about COVID-19 and the impact that you've seen on small businesses, medium-sized businesses that they've had to deal with changes in this new environment. Maybe they've had to lay off key employees that they wouldn't otherwise have done, you know, six months ago. What have you seen on the talent side in terms of impact to companies? Yeah, um, I've seen both sides, meaning I've seen some people where they've actually been hiring. I was just talking to a gentleman out in, in California. They're, they do um, large HVAC um, systems. So they do engineering and, and actual construction. And they've been hiring. There have been... They've been other smaller organizations that have had to let go and they've they've seen that opportunity and they've been able to to take on um, new talent now on average that's not what's happening right now unfortunately it's it's more the reverse where people are having to downsize um, as they wait for the the economy to rebound and and that's that's a you know Having to let go of anybody, whether or not it's for performance or not, is is difficult. Um, it's especially difficult when individuals—it's totally out of their control. And um, you know, we're all dealing with with COVID, and we're all being impact, impacted some way. So the conversations that they're having—they're trying—they're trying to do it, um, oftentimes with with um, furloughs versus letting people go and but they're now at a point where I where I see them making some final decisions you know it's, we're six months in they furloughed people and now they're they're feeling like okay you know PPP's running out um, I need to make some some decisions in order for the good of the organization to um, to be healthy and these are tough decisions that companies are making. Like you said, yeah. is it performance-based? Is it tenure-based? It's probably maybe a combination of things. 
And it's hard to know, but I wonder about the impact on the remaining people in the organization, right? They might feel guilty that they have their job and their colleagues don't. They might be sad. There's a lot of emotion there. Mm -hmm. We started this conversation talking about the emotional quotient, the EQ. (laughs) Yes. What kinds of conversations have you been having with, with CEOs and leaders of these companies to help them through the emotional side of COVID? Yeah, um, well, one of the issues that, that I see um, as it relates to the leaders specifically is they're exhausted. They've, they've used up a lot of their emotional energy reserves and they need to be able to step back and, and regenerate. Um, I s- spend a lot of time with them exploring how do you in short periods of time get some time for yourself and be able to kind of balance the the needs of your employees with the needs of yourself. Um, It's the old adage of put the oxygen mask on first before you try and help somebody else. And if, if employer and if leaders can't help themselves, how do, how do they have the energy to help others? Um, and there's, there are some that have been struggling with that. Uh, they're, they're the ones generally that are in those smaller organizations that have um, some really financial, huge financial strains. And it's, it's almost like they're on the edge. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's really difficult to, to have those conversations with them. Um, really hard. I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. If they're feeling on the edge financially, that's they're probably losing sleep. They're not, you know, eating, taking care of themselves. And then that's just going to be a downward spiral. And are, their decisions aren't as good either because they're they're cloudy. They've got all this other stuff around them. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, that's not a good place to be. The organizations that are finding a way through that, getting the balance sheet squared away having the capital that they need to be able to move forward and then thinking about what's next. They're the ones that are going to come out of this yes. and be more you know, ready to take on what the marketplace dynamic looks like over the next six to 12 months. Yeah. And I've also seen something else with those individuals, those, those companies and they, they are, um, they're a lot more agile. Mm-hmm. They're looking at the landscape and saying, okay, what opportunities am I missing that, I could go after that um, maybe I I didn't in the past because I didn't need to, but now um, there are there are market opportunities there that I probably should pursue. Yeah, and then that fits back with what's the need in the organization. Maybe they need people who are more entrepreneurial or entrepreneurial. Exactly. Whereas in the past it was, hey, do this do it well. This is how it works. Yeah. And now it's more about what new services might we need? What new products might we need? How do we talk to our customers? Yeah. So I think then again, it stitches back to the strategic plan. And I think it's a great time for organizations to take that step back. I led a session the other week and at the end we recapped and said, how did you feel about today? And it was words like energetic, positive, you know, looking ahead, like things like that, you know, yeah. whereas 
probably a week ago or two weeks ago, it still would have been more status quo. And, you know, I'm working from home. Then they they were connected with their team. They were feeling this hopeful sense of moving forward. And I think now more than ever, it is a great time to kind of bring the teams together and talk about what's next. Right. What can we do to be adaptive? And as you said, agile, Mm -hmm. it's a really important thing. And as they think about the type of leadership they need, they might be modifying that skill set. Right. That, you know, they need to find leaders that are agile, right? And, and willing to change and, and have that vision for um, the future. Yeah, that's important. Yeah. Let's talk about values. I think values drive behavior. Yes. And certainly incentives mm-hmm. and alignment in an organization. And regardless of whether it's a a family business or not, they need values to have as the pillar of the foundation. Yes. How have your clients' company values driven their decisions at this time during the pandemic? I think the the ones that are um, the strongest from an organizational standpoint are always going back to their values and and asking the question, okay, does this decision match our values? And that, you know, they have that conversation as, as a group, as a leadership team. Um, they drive values, values through the organization on a really consistent basis. Um, the gentleman in, in um, California was, was talking about um, they're, they're a fairly new organization. They've only been around for about six years, but they've managed to grow really very significantly. And he had a, a little brochure that had the mission, the vision, the values, and then the specific behaviors, which I, I thought was excellent because a lot of companies will have their values but then they don't drive it down to what are the behaviors that show us that you are representing the values. And so they, he had a list. It was pretty specific. And all the managers had those. And what he's, what he's doing is he is bringing out one of those values in each meeting and reinforcing it as they're, they're making decisions. So, um, That's a great way of doing it, I thought. Yeah, it's a great way. I I like that a lot. I worked for a company that did that. It specifically called out all of those elements, mission, vision, values, and behaviors. Mm -hmm. And especially for one of the companies I worked for, safety was one of the values. Mm -hmm. And safety was certainly one of the behaviors. And anytime they had a important leadership meeting, they would make sure to mention, you know, where the safety exits were. I mean, you could take it at any level, manufacturing or in an office environment. Yeah. But if you think about COVID-19, mm-hmm. if safety is one of your values, it will certainly drive the behaviors and decisions about oh, yeah. working in the working environment and how they treat their staff and their clients and, and how to protect them. So I think that that call out about behaviors is a really good one. The only other thing I wanted to mention about that, that I was, as you were talking, I was thinking about this two-way street nature of behavior, because you can't outline the behaviors and then have the leadership team not abiding by that, because people see that a mile away, and they'll call it out. Right. Oh, yeah. 
they need to model definitely model the the behaviors that that they're insisting others do as well. Yeah. And then, you know, as it from a succession planning standpoint, I always then take a look at those behaviors and help an organization create those competencies that are related to the behaviors because that then helps you in the conversation around uh, performance and potential. And it also helps you in your hiring process. If, if you're clear about the competencies that um, anybody or everybody, everybody needs within the organization, then you can have really good questions to ask potential employees, candidates for, for positions. Yeah, they definitely tie back. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And on a different show, I'm going to talk to an executive recruiter who works with family businesses. So this is a great segue mm -hmm. to this next episode that we'll have. And I'll make sure to tie them together in the in the show notes. So competencies is important. And I think that this is probably a great place to talk about you and your business and how do people find you online if they want to learn more about succession planning, competency development, and leadership? Well, they can find me on LinkedIn, which um, they would look me up as Beth Arm Connect Miller, which is A-R-M-K-N-E-C-H-T. Um, that's I'm the only one there at Beth Arm Connect Miller. And then um, my website is executive-velocity.com. I have a lot of um, free resources on my website. Just go to the resource tab and I've got resources on hiring, uh, leadership and succession planning. So, um, you know, help yourself to, to all the resources out there. Oh, well, thank you. That's that's awesome to have uh, people want to learn more about succession planning. I know there's no one way to do it, but if there's a lot of best practices that you're sharing, that's a great resource. So last question for you, because you're a business owner and you are an entrepreneur. Do you have a favorite saying about entrepreneurship? Oh, gosh, um, probably. Uh, I guess it would be something around if if you think you know what you're doing today wait for tomorrow. Because it's always going to change. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> change is constant. That's right. <laughs> That's great. Beth, thank you so much for being with me today. I really appreciate you and I appreciate you coming on the show. Well, I so enjoyed it. Thank you so much for inviting me. Innovation, transition, growth, easy to say, but hard to do. If you're an entrepreneur facing these challenges, I get it. I work with businesses from small to big to achieve your vision. Visit smalldotbig.com to learn more. I'd love to connect with you. Subscribe to Succession Stories. And if you enjoy the show, please share a rating and review. Thanks for listening. <laughs>